Hello and welcome to another episode of Sounds Like Comics, the podcast devoted to all things comic books in movies and TV. I'm Luke. I'm Jay, and welcome to the podcast. Today's topic, The Mandalorian. The second season stars Pedro Pascal as the title character of Bounty Hunter trying to return the child to his people, the Jedi. It is part of the Star Wars franchise, set after the events of Return of the Jedi. This is your warning, we will be talking spoilers. Massive spoilers as well, so please watch the show before listening, because we're going to get into the nitty gritty. I think at this point though, whatever could be spoiled in this season, people know. Yeah, and this was a thing, uh, I've watched the gallery for season two on Disney+, Plus, uh, and this was something that they discussed about the, for Mandalorian season two, there's so many people uh, working background. Uh, there's doing uh, hundreds and hundreds of people involved, and literally every piece of casting bar one got spoiled months and months and months before the show aired. Uh, and who, for the most part, who those casting rumors were playing as well. Like it wasn't just, Oh, it turns out they've hired out this actor or that actor. It's they've hired this actor to play this character, uh, which with the, the first first star Wars knowledge uh, on sport and info on any project in development is always high. And this year, I think it was just a whole other level given everyone was locked indoors and needed something to, distract themselves with even though we're given the spoiler warning we will wait to talk about a particular actor coming back to play a particular character you know i did hear that the actors didn't actually know this actor was coming back yeah that tightly under wraps this is a first for us jay Because cast your mind back, we didn't actually cover Mandalorian season one. It was Gareth and Adam. Yeah, um, which is wild to me because it was so long ago. Um, And but one thing I do recall was uh, speaking to you about the technology from season one of Mandalorian on another podcast that we were talking about and how it's now the, the hot new tech. It's what everyone's going to be wanting to get their hands on. And we're talking about, this is Steven Spielberg. This is JJ uh, Abrams. These are the sort of people who want to be getting their hands on this stuff first, because it's very similar to what, uh, or ideas Steven Spielberg was using for filming ready player one. And who do Mandalorian get as one of their directors for, or two of their directors for Mandalorian season two? Robert Rodriguez and Peyton Reed, who being part of the, well, one of them being part of the, the greater Disney family, they get priority look at this tech and familiarization, which will serve huge down the line, I'm sure. I mean, the name of the tech is Stagecraft, a technology created by ILM, which is able to project virtual environments around the actors. And one of the things I read was somebody, I don't know if they came from Lucasfilm, but somebody came down to the set and they didn't realize what they were seeing was stagecraft. 
and they were under the impression that John Favreau wouldn't be building like sets for this particular scene. And when she got there, she asked the question, why have you built things? I thought you said we weren't going to build anything. <laughs> duped by the stagecraft technology. Yeah. Yeah. And um, also for season two, the technologies progressed again. Uh, they talk about, they actually doubled the size of stagecraft, they, they, which originally they'll call just referring to as the volume um, because it's not just the edges of the set. It's also a, a screen suspended above the set, which perfectly uh, renders lighting, which is a huge advantage, if, especially if you're doing sunsets or sunrises um, or if it's just special effects, the actors are seeing actual rendered special effects and reacting to it in camera because it's not just a green screen. It's, oh, that's what I'm reacting to. It's right over there. I can see it. It's a spaceship. I can follow its eye, my eyeline and all the actors are following the same thing because there's something being projected for them to look at. Um, and it means that things that like glasses or mirrored surfaces, you don't need to spend a lot of money and hours of man time like digitally fixing the lighting on those and the reflections because it's all captured on set from the light being projected, the, the image is being projected on the stagecraft, which is like amazing technology. We've come a long way, haven't we, from balls on the end of sticks. You know, yeah. From that to, to where we are now, it's pretty incredible. And the fact that they're doing this on TV as well. I'd got to imagine from here on out, um, Marvel, Disney, all the Disney-related ventures will be making full use of this because it's just that much easier. Um, you have a full turnaround. They use VR to plot out scenes and what assets they need, which are all ready for them on set. And they can change on a whim. Like, now I'm seeing the actor in front of that thing. I don't like the composition of this set that this shot can i i'm going to move him here so but i still need that can you move that here and move this and they can literally rearrange their whole premise in in real time on set so they go oh just there's no like readjusting lighting rigs and stuff it all readjusts automatically as they move assets on the screens it's like saving them huge and giving them a lot more creativity and turnaround because they're seeing it right there it's not something that they're going to see in the editing room in a month down the line the visual effects for season two are like leaps and bounds again over what we had in season one everyone uh, is, I, i've speak, spoken to is amazed at the quality of the the special effects for season two um speaking of episode one the crate dragon like i've watched many big budget Christmas releases that failed to live up to the quality we had on a TV show. Just it's, it's incredible what they're doing on the Mandalorian on the small screen. Just having Star Wars on TV, that's where I'd like it for now. I'm loving, like, I know we're only getting like eight episodes per season, but just having week to week a new episode of Star Wars and have it be more enjoyable than what we're getting in the movies. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. And their sound design 
is, I mean, they have such a massive catalog of sounds to draw from that they've been building since 1977, but it, it all anchors you immediately. Any little sound effect, like whether it's a, a gunshot or a sound of an engine, or even in the cockpit of the Razor Crest, you like hitting switches and the sound feedback. You're like, I, I recognize that noise. I've heard that in many a Star Wars film. But it's um, all the, the added details and the, and the sh- like, I mean, this is a show made by fans for fans. It really is. And, you know, John Favreau, Dave Filoni, all the directors, you know, they're doing such a good job. But little de- details like, was it Boba Fett's ship in the movies where it, it takes off in one position and, ch- and then it moves or rotates in the air? Yeah, And in an episode of this, you actually see that the middle of the ship where the crew are sat stays in place and it's the rest of the ship that rotates around them. Yeah, it gimbals around a central, yeah. Yeah. Little things like that. Yeah, it changes. And that was because that was all done and projected for them. Uh, Some of the actors were like, they got distracted. They're like, ooh, as did all the sound crew and everything. And they go, and they ruined their first take because like, Everyone was just like, that is the coolest thing I've... Oh, sh- I'm sorry. Sorry, I'm supposed to be acting. Um, can we take that one from the top? Uh, yeah, it was details people always pondered about. Like, do you have to, like, crawl on your hands and knees to get to where you need to in that ship? But no, 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 it stays like you'd expect. And then, yeah, when it tra- transitions to the flight mode, that naturally counterbalances itself to always be orientated the correct way. Because uh, it is a cargo detail. hold. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Great, so great detail. Um, and that, that translates to everything, to the costumes. They do build partial sets because uh, people do have to interact with them. Um, there was some outdoor stuff that they shot, not just season one for when they're doing Navarro for the season finale, but for this season, uh, some of those streets and stuff. The third ep- third? No, it was the fifth episode uh with ahsoka tano where that street that was they built the set for that they'd spent extra to make sure if they've got things for people to play around with and you can't do all of that using stagecraft you do need things for people to interact with and get a sense of scale but it all it's all tricks they've been using for years but it just seems i mean i know this show has practically a film budget anyway it is one of the most expensive shows of all time it looks like it it. just yeah and that's the thing you can see how it's you can see where they spent the money and how effective it is um even things like still using old tech like the razor crest they've got a a model which is motion controlled and they built another one for the white cruiser that Moff Gideon's on. That's a practical model. That's a very large practical model because they're like, can we build this digitally? Yes. Will it look great digital? Yes. But how about we just build the model anyway? Because <laughs> we just did all that for season one for the Razor yeah. Crest. And like everyone like was ecstatic about how the fact that we bothered to do it and we've got a bigger budget for season two. Why not spend a little bit of it? 
There's so much to get into, isn't there? Like you were talking about, you know, the set designs and the street in episode, I think it was the street in episode five, where for the first time, and this was mentioned in that special you talked about earlier, graffiti in the Star Wars universe. And they hired yeah. a graffiti artist to come and do it. And then the cast joined in. And there's all little things there, but they were talking about having it, so it looked more like a real world. And details like yeah. that are looked. Yeah, and explaining like you know, because they because it was an actual graffiti artist, like oh, so what do we just start scrolling on the wall? He goes, nah, you actually can't do it that way. You actually have to build it literally layer by layer, as if it had been built up over years. So you do a layer, and they're very set things, and then it dries, and then you look at the space you've got, and then you try again with something else, and you're like, oh, to get over black, I need to use a lighter color now because it's dried, and I'm applying a new coat. Uh, and this, that's how real graffiti, and that's why it looks correct. Um, and yeah, and because all the, the actors and the cast and crew, like, we're graffitiing it anyway. Here's a spray can, go nuts. Yeah. We got a lot of, we've got a lot of wall to cover. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned, you know, we, we can talk through the episodes. I love the fact that the season two premiere is chapter nine. They're going to continue yeah. to tell this story in chapters. I love that detail, but I didn't notice. So we've got the first episode of season two, The Marshal, and that's where we're introduced to Cobb Vanth, played by Timothy Oliphant, and he looks like a tall, skinny Boba Fett for the most part. Yeah. I tried to stay away from anything that could spoil this season for me. I want to go in as fresh as possible. So that was a surprise to me to see somebody wearing that armor. Same, because I read a lot of the books and that sort of stuff, but I was very much like yourself, purposely staying away from any kind of spoilers. And so when this guy rocks up wearing Boba Fett's armor, I'm looking at him thinking, that armor's wearing him. That's, that's not Boba Fett. What's going on? And then, yeah, sure enough, he takes off his helmet and there's Timothy Oliphant. I'm like, that is perfect casting. Oh, Mr. Incredible. Ted Wood himself, <laughs> justified. Yeah, of course, yeah. I, and he's just having worked on other uh, Western theme stuff and then having drawn heavily on Westerns for the tone of Mandalorian to begin with, as Star Wars always has, it really was like a stroke of genius. Uh, he he fit, looked like he belonged. Yeah, he fit the world perfectly. But talking about effects and, and design, I didn't pick up on it the first time. I don't think many people would. But I heard after I'd seen season two premiere, that the big battle, I think that the last maybe 15 minutes of that episode, John Favreau switched to an IMAX camera. And uh, the aspect ratio changes from the standard, or was it 16.9 or whatever it is for yeah. like standard TV, and it switches to IMAX and it fills the screen. And I read that somewhere, and I went back to check, and it really does. The aspect ratio changes. As soon as the creature comes out and they're fighting it, all of a sudden, well, one, it feels bigger, but it's because it is. The yeah, picture gets that bigger. That makes so much sense because I, I remember the, what, the shot where it, like, where it comes out and you see the reaction on Timothy Oliphant and the screen, it zooms in, but it, my brain was just reading as a, a, one of those zoom shots on the actor. I wasn't realizing the screen was getting bigger. It gets bigger and it stays bigger. For the rest yeah. of the episode. Little things like that. Yeah. On this show, nobody's phoning it in. 
Everybody no. is giving it their all. And when they're being experimental like that, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. And it, um, oh man, it's, it's so great. And, you know, also that last battle, that is straight out of my favorite Star Wars game of all time, Knights of the Old Republic. Oh, right. That's One of cool. the missions you can do you, is you fight a crate dragon and you use that method. You get a droid that speaks Tusken Raider and you draw some uh, banthers to the, the cave and it draws out the uh, crate dragon and you set up explosives to kill it. <laughs> ah. And even the pearl, like, you know, the Tusken Raiders pull out of all the meat and they like start celebrating when they pick up that big bloody, like, round like bowling ball looking thing that is a crate dragon pearl it is supposed to be worth a ton of money in star wars lore and can be refined to a lightsaber crystal to make them extremely powerful so there's a whole bunch of lore associated with all that stuff and that's just pure fandom of like if you know (laughs) you know if you don't it's not going to distract you at all you don't feel like you're missing a a turn i didn't know but it sounds like you got something out of it that's that's cool man i mean there's there's so much star wars lore to mine isn't there? There is, there is. Uh, and also we get um, Amy Sedaris get to return as well, because of course this is a Tatooine episode and where else would Dinger in land other than her hangar? Um, they revisit the bar, the cantina from A New Hope that they used in the first season. It's just all these tiny little details that I mean, again, and the R5 yeah. droid, that is the one that blew its motivator when Luke goes to buy it in the first movie. Ah, that's cool. In fact, it's even got the oil smear on it because that's where the motivator broke. Like, I mean, it's in canon. <laughs> the big creature that we're talking about in, in episode one or chapter nine, we saw the bones of that creature. Was it in A New Hope when you had R2-D2 yep. and C-3PO in the desert? And yeah. And, you know, Waking Mandalorian, they've kind of like gone back and looked at that and they've just built on it. And, okay, so maybe if that creature evolved, it grew limbs and it grew bigger. And they've kind of like taken that original idea from that background shot of the bones in the desert. And then yeah. we've got this new creature or like a, a an evolved version of that creature. Yeah, like if it, uh, if it didn't die, if it made it this far, this is it's life cycle a bit like the traditional idea of a koi eventually growing, growing into a dragon. This is what a crate dragon does. It starts off small ish, big to compared to us, but small compared to what we've seen. And it eventually gets up to this ridiculously large size and it swims through the sand. Why I just love people the don't just spot them and shoot them from the air. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, they can do what they want. Make, making yeah. more Star Wars, whether it's Mandalorian or whatever, they really could do what they want. If they're talking about evolving what's already come before, they can, they can do that. Oh, no, 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 yeah. that's, no. That's what it looks like if this happens. You don't yeah. know. Like, you know we're, yeah, yeah. We're, just, yeah. we're creating new law. I love it. Yeah, that but, thing ate a Salek. Have you seen how big those things are? <laughs> <laughs> before we continue with the episode, you should probably just talk about Pedro Pascal back as the Mandalorian. Yeah, I I was generally surprised at how much we actually saw Pedro Pascal in, in this season. I started, I watched the season one premiere with my wife and she was on yeah. board. 
And then we got to the end of the first episode and she asked, he's not going to keep his helmet on the whole time, is he? And I'm like, yeah, I think, yeah, he is. That's like, that's the whole thing. He's a Mandalorian. They keep their helmets on. And at that yeah. moment, she's like, I'm out. And she completely <laughs> stopped watching it. So I'm like, but, so I expected that to continue, that, you know, he's always going to yeah. keep his helmet on. We saw like a scene from the back in season one where he removed his helmet to eat something and then he put it back on again. Season two, he's taking his helmet off a lot. We'll get to the compared rescue. to season one, absolutely. Oh, yeah, but so much in this season. I was but, really but surprised. But it's little things. It's little like just pulling it so he he keeps his his face covered, but to drink or something like that. Um, and also, it's around people he's comfortable with. But um, yeah, it's I'm completely okay. With it's, really they're am. always yeah, yeah, and it's always earned. It's not like he's they're like oh well, doesn't need that. It's uh, it's something that they they spend a lot of time building towards. In fact, the big reveal really comes in episode seven, the believer, and it's called that because it's the idea of he what does he believe in more, this little rule, or protecting the child. Um, but yeah, uh, also and, uh, chapter yeah, one, uh, yeah. uh, chapter nine. They've only touched on the, the the greasy gangster who tries to take his stuff at the start, played by John Leguizamo. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> that that's that's an interesting shift that they've made, haven't they? Whereas you've said like the comparisons to a western for that first season, the season two premiere, and then it very much goes into more of a gangster territory, and that's what you're getting in that episode. It's like Goodfellas yeah. with aliens. Yeah, um, and I've heard some complaints about season two that they, after the finale for season one, people really expected it to get a little bit more, um, you know, parts and parcel building to one large story running through the whole season. Like, but it does, you know, what his get his, uh, his drive is at the start of every season, but I like episodic things. No, me too. I I like the fact that they get to do a, a self-contained story every week that you only get like a little push from here and there towards the main goal because it's easier for directors coming in because they're telling a complete story, not coming in the middle of a story and then pushing the it just slightly further down the road in the time they have. They get to flex their creative muscle and it it just feels like you get a larger morsel when there's been uh, a middle beginning, a beginning, middle and end of an episode yeah. every week. I mean, each episode is between what? 30 and 40 minutes. There's, there's no, there's no filler. It's all solid content, but I like the fact that each episode is a piece of a bigger puzzle. Like you're right. We know where we're heading. We're yeah. taking the child to the Jedi. Hey, Let's talk about the child. For the longest yeah. time, Disney are asking people, telling people, stop calling him Baby Yoda. His name is the child. And yeah. people continue to call him Baby Yoda. And then Disney went one step further. He's not Baby Yoda. He's not the child. He's Grogu. Like, yeah. <laughs> is he? <laughs> yeah. So that, that's yeah. the thing. I mean, yeah. if you look at, uh, there's so much merchandise, and I, I've got yeah. a um, the child pop vinyl, yeah, the packaging the child. I mean, that's how yeah. I, I was not it. It's, yeah, it's um, meant to be Grogu. 
Yeah, I've ordered the uh, deluxe uh, Hot Toys Mandalorian with child. Oh, with there you the go. child. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, that's a, a fairly expensive purchase that I'm going to have the incorrect name on it. But people what I do like is... Him, people still call him Baby Yoda. Yeah, so the people on set, they're like, yeah, we've known for like months and months. and But, yeah, you can't help like call him, refer to him as Baby Yoda. I refer to him as Baby Yoda because it doesn't sound natural to my ear yet. Um, but I like that every time he hears his name come from Mandalorian, he does like a, oh, and like it snaps, yeah. he, it drags his attention immediately because he's like, oh, that's me. Like as a baby, once it starts to pick up on certain words, responds, as does the child, baby Yoda, Grogu. <laughs> I love how early you just so casually just mentioned Ahsoka. Like, you know, she's yeah. a character in this. And she's the reason why we know his name is Grogu in the, in the first place, which was yeah. a phenomenal episode. Rosario Dawson in this, like, she was the number one fan casting for so long. Yeah. And then it became a reality. Talking to anyone who would listen about how she was a massive fan of the character. She's like, oh, I'd always love to play him, her in live action. Not that it would ever happen. But she got there. And she is, and she's getting her own spinoff, which, yes. uh, which means we're getting much more of this. But her episode, especially that Dave Filoni, the creator of Ahsoka Tano, Perfect. the creator of Star Wars Clone Wars, the creator of Rebels, that has done her story up until this point, wrote and directed, and heavily samurai influenced. I mean, it is wearing its uh seven samurai DNA on its chest. <laughs> it is um, beautifully shot. And who else do we get in that episode? Michael Bain. Yes, I know. I love it. <laughs> I'm so excited. When, I, when at the start of the episode, when they were, when she approaches the gate of the town and there's the lady running the town and there's a guy stood next to her and I'm just staring like, my God, this is her Katano in live action. I'm like, like is that Michael Bain? Cal like, Reese. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, you know that? It's, it's Michael Bain, Mr. 80s action himself. Like, this is amazing. I can't believe they got Michael Bain. That's, that's awesome. And uh, playing the uh, Morgan Elsbeth, the lady who runs the town, is Diana Lee Inosanto, whose father was one of Bruce Lee's original pupils. So like wow. The pedigree on this show. <laughs> Just amazing. And she's a director and writer in her own right and that's why the the fight with her and Rosario Dawson was so good is because she is a very well respected martial artist and stunt woman. So there you have it. Like just ah oh, this show so oh, good. It really, it really shows. And if we're just like talking about cast, let's talk about Katie Sackoff as Bo-Katan. Yeah, Bo-Katan of Clan Crease, who voiced this character since she was introduced in the Clone Wars a decade ago. And Dave Filoni said to her, if we ever have this character in live action, you can come back. And she kind of just laughed it off. Yeah, like, it's going to happen. So, don't be an idiot. That, yeah, okay, live action, sure. 
So on the um, back of that, when you've got her in live action, the fact the 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 animation, like the the design for the character, is always based on the look of Katie Sackhoff. You just couldn't yeah. think of a better better casting. Perfect. Yeah, and Not only does she sound like her; she looks like her. Yeah, uh, and she knows the character's history because she acted it all. Yeah, um, it's yeah, it's. Perfect, isn't it? And the fact that she's a diehard Star Wars fan and so is her dad. And she put pictures on social media of her dad visiting her on set, which was you know, nice and moving. Yeah, yeah the, the casting on the show is brilliant. And, and the tease early on in the season, Boba Fett survived the Sarlacc pit. Yeah, we didn't even mention this at the start of episode one. No, but a guy turns around. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and you see, you see the sand, uh, the Tuscan Raider rifle, and the gaffy stick, which is the the baton thing that sand people use. And you're like, "Who's this guy? Why is this Tuscan Raider wearing black?" And then he turns around, and it's only Tamora Morrison. Uh, which the you know that was I think the first casting rumor to like come out like a year ago of oh apparently they've cast Bob uh, Tamora Morrison to come back as Boba Fett for. Mandalorian season two, and I was, I was just like, yeah, all right, yeah, cool, that's gonna happen, idiots. <laughs> so they're getting cast from the cartoons, they're getting cast from the prequels, and yeah, having Morrison back in this, the episode in particular with him, and it's directed by a guy that I do really like the work of. Yeah, Robert Rodriguez. His episode when we're getting a lot of Boba Fett action. Yeah. It's incredible. If you look at the films that Rodriguez has done of late, and if you look at his most recent film, it's a Netflix one, also starring Pedro Pascal, We Can Be Heroes. I watched yeah. it with my kids, and they enjoyed it. It's like it's a superhero kids movie. Yeah. It's fun. It's fine. But Rodriguez on TV, directing The Mandalorian, phenomenal. Yeah, and... Again, it's it's a it's a, a, na- a big name director getting access to this tech early on, but also his favorite character that people always complain: why do people like this Boba Fett character? He's a nobody. He just looks cool. Like he went out like a chump, and here we see him fully realized, fully redeemed, and fully unleashed. His oh, the like, even before action. he gets the armor. Yes, what tomorrow Morrison like beating the crap out of the stormtroopers with that. St- Gaffy stick, like shattering the uh the face plates, and it's brutal and it's so good. And he requested that uh, when as soon as he got, he goes, "Oh, we want you to kind of use this. This is what you'll be using." And he's like, "Um, this actually reminds me of a a traditional moldy weapon, uh, uh, which is the indigenous people of New Zealand, a Maori weapon. Um, it's a little short though. Can you guys extend it?" And they, yeah, does this look right? Ah, uh, a little longer a little longer oh yeah that's right and got him to get the balance right for him and he used uh the martial arts he learned as a traditional maori for those movements that's all him helping with the choreography and uh, you know affecting the size of the weapon and everything to make it all work and who better to shoot the action than robert rodriguez this is it's a perfect pairing isn't it you've got someone who's if you look at like Rodriguez, like he's never the guy that's directing a big budget movie. I mean, obviously he's getting a good budget with Mandalorian, but he's always is someone that can 
really push your budget and make something look a lot more expensive than it is. So he's worked his way up from El Mariachi, Desperado, all those movies. Yeah. And now he's been given the opportunity directing Star Wars on TV and I'm hoping he can lead something more because his episode is just brilliant and the action and the combination of the director and what Morrison is bringing in front of the camera. It's just, that episode was one of the highlights for me. It was incredible. Yeah, same. Um, It's got one of the highest IMDb ratings of the the show as well. But also, to figure out his story beats for the action, he uh, filmed him and his two sons in his backyard. Yes, I did see that. And for other little things, it was using action, Star Wars action figures. Like, oh, this is the the amount of them and they're like flipping through the air and he had done it in like a really janky cinematic. And then when uh, Dave Filoni and John Favreau and a bunch of guys were like looking at what he shot, like trying to get ready their timing so they could start working on the previous, they're like, wait a minute, was that a, was that a Star Wars action figure? And he's all sheepish. Like <laughs> it's just a, what I, whatever I had on hand and they go, no, 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 that's not a diss. You've just created for us the greatest cinematic of all time. Let's watch it again. And he's just yeah. like, oh my God, these are my people. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Man. And, that, and that's what I told the people working on this show, they get it. You know, they're really going to push themselves and give it their all. And then us, the audience, really, you know, see the benefits of that. Yeah. Um, and Ming-Na Wen returning as uh, Fennec Shand, who we all assumed was dead. <laughs> Uh, in this episode, are uh, being shot in season one of The Mandalorian and left for dead. She's, she's got robot parts. She's okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's Star Not Wars. Just that. She gets to do a lot more and you get to see how like incredible she really is. And this is, again, you know, you and I have watched her on many, many seasons of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Of course. Uh, yeah. Mulan herself. And she gets a little Mulan move, mo- moment where she pushes that big boulder onto all the stormtroopers. She gets like the little avalanche. I'm like, those are just little, really nerdy, subtle details that they've squished in there. It's so amazing. I still haven't seen animated Mulan because I took your advice. I watched the live action one, and now I'm going to watch the animated one. Yeah. You told me um, don't do it the other way around because I won't enjoy yeah. the live action one as much. But you're right. Yeah. Animated Mulan, Ages of S.H.I.E.L.D., we've seen she can really kick ass on that show, and she's doing it here on The Mandalorian. Yeah, um, so good. Uh, and I, I wouldn't be shocked. Uh, one of the another one of the Star Wars shows that got announced, The Bad Batch, which is an animated show. Young Fennec Shand is in the trailer for that. I'm like, well, I'm sure Ming Na Wen is is going to voice the character she already. Yeah, is. you'd think. You think? Yeah. You know, there's there's an episode. I can't remember what chapter it was in the season. And other than you had Mandalorian. But then it was three, maybe four female characters. All that was completely... the finale. Oh, of course it was. Of course, the rescue. Yeah. Well, they were yeah. all absolutely kicking ass and they were taking point and Mandalorian was following them. Yeah. And it was great. It was really, really good. And for me, it was such a good example of having women on screen kicking ass and it just working. Remember that scene that Disney gave us, not last year, but the year before, Avengers Endgame? Yeah. And you had that moment where the female characters all kind of huddled around each other. And I get what they were going for, but it was just like, hey, look, look, we're doing a thing. Whereas in the season two finale, that works really well. 
and it was earned because not only was Cara June long established as a kick-ass who Mandalorian relies on, uh, Fennec Shan spent basically half the season with him, also earning her spot. And uh, the other women, both Mandalorians, Bo-Katan and uh, Koska Reeves, played by Mercedes Varnado, or as other people know her, Sasha Banks. Yes. The boss. (laughs) Uh, And yeah, it is a perfect strike team. They just all happen to be women, but they were all introduced earlier and they fit their roles. He knows he needs Mandalorian help. He knows the Mandalorians are after Moff Gideon. And so that's who he recruits. That's who they have. And that's the strike team size they needed not to draw attention that he could people he could trust. And like I said, it's it did exactly what that Infinity War scene tried to do, but crowbarred it in, whereas this was like seamless as yes, if it he, was always meant to happen this way. It was so well done. But mentioning Cara June, Gina Carano, she was great in that first season, even better yeah. in this season. Such yeah, a fantastic um, character. She's so great. You get so much depth from her as well. Like in season one, she's reserved. Uh, in season two, she she's settled into her, her place. She's kind of found herself having been lost from where she was in season one. And you get that backstory. And all you need to know is, on, uh, is at the end of episode four, the siege, the explanation of like, she was old Iranian. And that's why she's the way she is. It's because she lost everything. And that's why she couldn't sit with a new Republic and sit on the sort of people who turned a blind eye when their, her people was killed. And another one getting a spin-off show. The uh, Marshals of the New Republic, or the Rangers of the New Republic. like, And, and well-earned. I mean, she did a lot of heavy lifting, not just like literal lifting bodies to throw around (laughs) but also her acting chops and how reliable she is on that on this series like so amazing and she was you know we talked uh i'm not sure if they mentioned uh gareth and adam talked about this but in interviews once it had all season one had finished she was talking about how she was on the verge of quitting acting before she got this job for Mandalorian because they didn't, they only wanted her as the strong sidekick, mm, the yeah. silent type that, and like very pigeon hold. And cause of the size she has from her, her years of training and that kind of stuff. It's like, man, all you people who were turning her down for casting, you missed out because Star Wars have her now and they ain't going to let her go. And we're winning because of it. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, the episode where the character recognizes the tattoo and what it means, she gave a yeah. great performance there. Yeah, more yeah. than just brute strength. Yeah, she was giving a good performance. Yeah, and you know, the episode four, the siege, uh, that was directed by none other than Carl Weathers. Moff, oh, of course, Ka- yeah, Grief Karga. Like He's what? And directorial what a, debut, the, his first time. Yeah, and he like not that you could tell. I mean, he was a very, very good director for that episode. Um, and Horatio Sands returning oh, as yes. uh, Ithril, like 
so good. Watching so good. Watching that episode, I, and like I say, you know, episode four, I felt as though we'd potentially seen the best action we were going to get from the season because his episode was so action heavy. The speed bikes, doing things we've not seen them do before, like visually action packed, fast paced, and all of that. And I'm like, wow, what a what a great episode to give us action. I didn't think the show was going to continue to build on the back of that. But yeah, the Carl Weathers yeah. episode was fantastic. Yes, yeah, I thought the same. And the little things they slipped in, which, you know, by the time the season ended, you forgot how much happened in his episode because the cloning, cloning like, who was in that, that that they want the child's blood for in the first place? The speculation is, is that Snoke? Is that the prototype of Snoke in there? Is that what they want the child's blood for? Is it supposed to be Emperor Palpatine's clone body? Like, what's going on? And on top of that, like, the some of the in-jokes, like when Horatio Sands have they like, go out there and turn off that coolant. And he's like, what? To me? There's no guardrail. I'm like, that's been a very <laughs> yeah. long uh, standing joke between yes. Star Wars fans of like, where's the occupational health and safety in Star Wars? It doesn't <laughs> exist. It's so great. So amazing. And we haven't even begun to touch on episode three, The Heiress, directed by return director Bryce Dallas Howard. Like, a phenomenal episode. With, it's the introduction of Bo-Katan and uh, of Sasha Banks' character and also another uh, character, Axe Woves, played by Simon Cassianides. Who doesn't return for the finale? Yeah, which... I was gonna. He's kind of just there, though, isn't he? Yeah, he is. He's just he there. Is. But like another phenomenal episode, and again on the gallery, um, just the Bryce Dallas Howard explaining, oh, you know, we're getting ready to do the the shots on the the boat, which was all on a set, of course, because they're using stagecraft, and she was going doing. Uh, she was planning a, a crane shot. And then John Favreau just pulled it aside and it's like, are you sure you want to um, use a crane shot for this? Goes, uh, this is just something that I've been doing and that me and Dave have been discussing. Uh, as great as this tech is and the fact that we're inside, we're trying to replicate the sorts of shots we do and limiting ourselves to the sorts of shots that would be possible were we filming this for real. And we just found, and she goes, huh. Actually, yeah, that's a really smart idea because it would uh, to replicate those motions and those restrictions would just make it feel that much more realistic because you know you won't get a sudden floaty feeling on the boat that it is just a stage that's not moving, it, um, and that's something that all of the directors took on board of like don't shoot things because now you can because the way we're building the sets and everything restrict yourself and and compile it as normal and you'll find it reads more realistic on camera um and that's just something they picked up on season one like just really great stuff um, you know, playing more like a continuation of what lucas started with that first star wars film as well yeah yeah absolutely and you know this was the big culmination of i mean kind of episode two and three together almost film like a, a little two-parter because you have the frog lady uh, played by Misty Rosas, uh, who played the physical actions of Quill, who was, of course, voiced by Nick Nolte in season one. 
who did like an amazing job. Um, such a talented actress, but yeah, the that episode, the 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 assault in the cruiser. They, another little thing they did with that one was uh, for the the Mandalorians underneath Bo-Katan, they all moved in sequ- in sequence in unison, like a well-oiled machine, and they purposely had Pasco Pascal always a, a step behind them and like, oh, because he's reacting because he's not part of their unit. Yeah. Because yeah. if they move in sequence and he's like, he doesn't know what they're going to do. He doesn't work with these people before. And he's more of a loner. Like you can't have him suddenly feed in automatically. People will pick up on that. Yeah, no, that was, that was a good detail. Uh, let's go back to the frog lady. So episode two caused quite a bit of controversy online, didn't it? Because <laughs> some people didn't like that. Grogu, at the time, still the child, was trying to eat the eggs. Yeah, which I'm, I, I found so weird because one, he's a puppet. Two, <laughs> those aren't real. Three, no, no, no. But he was, he's a people, frog lady, and we had established how much he likes to eat frogs. It's people like, added, yes, yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, the frog legs hanging out of the mouth. Well, people had issued that the character, not the puppet, the character. <laughs> was eating yeah. her unborn children. That is what yeah. people had, had an issue with. But it's something that just kind of came and went. And then yeah. as soon as the rescue happened, the season two finale, no one was talking about the frog lady or the eggs anymore. No, no, and, and that episode, you know, a very strong horror feel to it, um, directed by Peyton Reed of uh, Ant-Man and Ant-Man and Wasp fame. Um, and also... Uh, the Renee Zellweger and Neil McGregor uh, 60s rom-com Down With Love Down With Love, thank you uh, Like, which people don't remember that he was but this was a very like when Grogu is like in the ice cave and you see all those eggs and he starts tearing one open to eat the little baby spider is that like, a straight away yeah <laughs> He's looking for everybody's eggs. Yeah, yeah. He's really, really child. You've got to yeah. keep your eyes on him all the time. Yeah. Yeah, he's all everything goes in the mouth as well. Um, but yeah, as the uh they all start to hatch around him, it it's alien. That is yes, alien is. in a nutshell. Yeah. Um and, and so tense, it's so well shot. Um and yeah, just this show uh, it, it also shows the diversity of the types of stories. Because they used some levity with him eating the eggs, or her eggs, and that kind of stuff. But that was a horror thing. That's a horror episode, having had the kind of super Western feeling episode before that. And then, you know, the Samurai one later on. I mean, the tones this show hits are remarkable. Um, but yeah, just so, so well done. And he also directed the final episode of course paint read the rescue which we'll touch back on in a second well yeah okay i think we do need to talk about the rescue but before we do bill burr is mayfeld oh, yeah he's fantastic in this we've got him in that first season we get him back here and you've got so many great scenes with him and the mandalorian without his helmet yeah and it's, um it it plays it plays so well because when we first 
are introduced to the Mandalorian. Going back to that first season, the pilot episode, who he is then is not who he is now. I love the fact that we've been with him on this journey. Like everything in the beginning with him is very black and white. I cannot remove my helmet. This is the way. Once you've done the armor, that's it. No one can see your face. But then as the seasons have progressed, his bond, his his love for this child, because he really does. Like they've got such a strong bond that he's willing yeah. to compromise and he's putting the child above all else. And it's a great yeah. episode with Bill Burr, who until now I just knew from his comedy, his animated series, Effie's family. Yet yeah. here he is now giving this really strong dramatic performance. I thought Bill Burr was was great in, in this Same. episode in particular. Same because you know, for the first half of the episode, he's what you expect from Bill Burr. If you've ever listened to him interview or on his own podcast where he talks with his wife and answers people's questions and stuff. And that was him on the, in the tank thing ride to get to the Imperial base. Just like, you know, like what's the deal with the helmet? Like it feels much better when it's off. Like, you know, before you told me you couldn't take your helmet off, but now you're wearing a different one. So what is the rule? Is it that you can't take off your helmet or that you can't show your face? Cause there is a difference. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. also the fact that like, look at these people, this is under the, the, the freedom of the new Republic, but new Republic Imperials, all they see is people on their land. Um, and it's a very, you know, the em- empire has always been filmed black and white. They're the bad guys, the rebels. And now the new Republic, those are the good guys. And, this is from an imperial perspective. Is that the empire was built of a bunch of dudes as well, like like some of them, like the pilot that we already discussed, who recognised Cara Dune's tattoo and was a massive dick about it. Mm-hmm. Um, he obviously very much is like, no, look, empire, yeah, but power and cr- like like control, like all these people are scumbags that need to be dealt with. And then you have probably 90% of what the empire was, was just people in jobs <laughs> who the empire was just the government. And it's like, well, was this or nothing. I mean, Kevin Smith, he said it back in, what was it? 94 with clerks. Yeah. The second, yeah, all those subcon- they're, yeah. they're the subcontractors. They don't really believe yeah. in this. You know, they're just they're yeah. doing a job. And the, the entire scene where, uh, Din Djarin's got his, helmet off because he needs to take it off to get his uh to get the scan to get the information out of the terminal you've got uh bill burr mayfield sitting opposite that uh imperial officer who he's you you're watching him have ptsd in the room yeah uh and he's well, even, very even, strong even... almost like he's so uncomfortable he looks like he wants to vomit and he's like trying to choke down this like fear and rage that he's building in his chest um, an amazing performance as well by uh, who's the actor? It is Richard Brake, um, who's got such an evil face. Like he just he, does, yeah. he, he just it looks he yeah. is an imperial officer. Like <laughs> seeing like that's what I imagine an imperial officer looks like. That's but like yeah. when they when they cast Richard E. Grant in the movies. It's like perfect. Yeah. he's just yeah. got that look. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah, and that performance there, not just. From like Bill Burr was like he stole the entire scene. He really it really did. Such a and acting I, class. And I, I was completely drawn in, and and like it was such a good performance. But I was still shocked when he killed him. 
because I was yeah, so same. into what was happening. But at the same time, you feel as though ordinarily a show like this, it's not going to push too many boundaries. Yet yeah. Mandalorian, it can still surprise you. And that this is yeah. a good example of one of those moments. Yeah, and the whole that whole scene, Pedro Pascal is uh he looks vulnerable because he doesn't like being out of his armor. He doesn't like his face being like open has made him like kind of like hunch and like squat down into the seat. And he's and he's someone online pointed out he's he's he doesn't use his peripherals a lot. Like he's doing it because he's uncomfortable and he's trying to put a shield between him and someone he's looking at by not giving them his full attention, but. When Mayfield shoots Richard Brake, he turns to him full because he's so used to wearing the armor. It's such a natural movement. Yes. And then the guy behind him, he turns and it's his full body turn. He doesn't just turn his head and aim. It's the movement he's used to. Oh, like Michael Keaton in the yeah. Batman costume. Because yes. that's the world he's used to living in. Of course, yeah. I'm like, oh, wow. That's such I a never picked up on that. Yeah, such a small detail. Again, you only notice on the second watch because the first watch, you just, you're in that scene. You're like, I can't believe he just shot that guy. <laughs> Let's talk the rescue. This yeah. is the episode. This is, this is I, I, I could not believe what I was seeing. I swore at my TV. I was, I was just having so much fun. Like, it was such a great episode. Again, Stayed away from spoilers. I didn't want to see anything. Yeah. As soon as it aired, because I couldn't watch this finale the day that it aired, I stayed offline. I didn't want it to be spoiled in any way. So as things are happening in the rescue, I had no idea, none whatsoever. Same. We've seen in the previous episode, Grogu, Baby Yoda, was, was trying to reach out and contact and and the Jedi, and there's somebody, and somebody is coming, but you don't know who. And then you've just got the scene. We mentioned that great action sequence earlier with Bo-Katan and the wrestler. I'm blanking on her name. <laughs> yeah, Sasha Banks and Cara Dune yes. and Fennec Shand, all drawing the main attention as they go to the bridge to capture the ship while the man Mando heads off to go to the child specifically, but he's got to take out the dark troopers. Another massive star Wars. Oh, he's, he's, so they're just yeah. like, yeah, there, yeah, there, there it is. That's, that's this thing that people have been talking about since like 1996. It's like, huge. So all this is happening, but now they're on the bridge and they're stuck. And then you just see one X wing and they even like yeah. say, what's an X one X wing going to do? Wow. Great. We're saved. My, honestly, like no word of a lie, I had a flash thought because for me, my Star Wars knowledge wouldn't run as deep as yours. So yeah. when I see one X-Wing, I do think Luke Skywalker. I do. Yeah. So it was almost like a fleeting thought, like Luke Skywalker popped into my head, but almost as quick as he popped in, he popped out because it wasn't a thing. I mean, I didn't really think, we did give the spoiler warning, I didn't think... Like we'd see Luke Skywalker in the show, but it was laid out brilliantly. The X docks. When we when we first see the character, we don't yet know who it is. Draw his lightsaber. It's a black and, and white the, monitor. It, it is, which is so all well of it. Before he even ignites the lightsaber, all you get is like the, the the hood up cloak billowing behind a person that is so 
are so in uninformative. You're like, that could be a guy or a girl. Because the whole time I'm like, it can't be Luke. Could be they're, they're purposely could, could trying be... to trick me into thinking no. it's Luke. They, they're thinking that they want us to think it's Luke Skywalker. Who is it really? Tell well, like, me. It sounds like you were doing what I was doing. Tell yeah. myself, nope, can't be. It's not going to be. Yeah. And then yeah. they don't show, but then when we, again, with my Star Wars knowledge not being as deep as yours, as soon as I saw the green lightsaber, I don't know if other characters, whether it's in, in the books or the games or whatever, also have green lightsabers for my in my for my knowledge luke's the only one that's got a green lightsaber so when i saw the green lightsaber that was it a lot of people have said it's the belt buckle as well but for me it was the green lightsaber and i'm like holy crap and they still didn't show you his face and they don't for the longest time but we've talked yeah. about the visuals on this show yeah it is actually mark hamill who was on set a year ago and they managed to keep it quiet for that whole yeah. time. It's yeah. Hamill doing the dialogue and he, he is there, but they used, uh, you know, technology to digitally de-age him. Uh, there's yeah. a young guy in place of Mark Hamill, Max Lloyd yeah, uh, Jones. Jones. So he also set did double. the action sequences as well because right, Mark okay. Hamill is not a young man. Those are not the He's sort not. of and I things love he Mark could have Hamill. performed. I yeah. really do love Mark Hamill, but I think going back to 77, he wouldn't have been doing what this Jones guy is doing now. <laughs> what we're no, seeing, no. In, this, this, the, that moment at the end of um, Rogue One, when we saw yeah. Darth Vader cut loose. Yeah. This is Luke's, Luke Skywalker's moment. Like when he's... yeah. We've heard of the potential of this character our whole yeah. lives. Yeah, and the most powerful Jedi ever. Yes. Um, Maybe. Je- gra- je- grand Jedi Master Luke Skywalker. And yeah, we see it. And one thing I like to see as well is his, the motions he did for his technique, very much reminis- reminiscent of Hayden Christensen's style for the prequels. Like they right. looked at that choreography and took elements. I'm like, I, I recognize those moves because the thing that gave it away for me wasn't the green lightsaber. Right. It was the lightsaber hilt. Ah, oh, see, there I, you go. I, know, I said that. I know. I've got, I've, my yeah. Star Wars knowledge. I, I knew, okay, so you had a different tell. Yeah. I had the obvious yeah. one. I had the green lightsaber. Yeah. That was my clue. <laughs> but that is most people's. Everyone I know who said the same thing was like, as soon as I saw that green lightsaber, I'm like, nah, nah. Even then, I really, I literally had to see the hilt. And even still, my mind was like, gloved hand that hilt on a green lightsaber i'm like they still could be messing with me somehow they still could and like looking at that bell buckle i'm like he no i don't believe it i don't believe it and literally until they pulled back his hood the whole time i'm just like like i'm like they can't be they can't be i all the elements are there but there's no way they're giving me this there's absolutely no way it's one of the best things i've ever seen on tv ever like it was it was just it was incredible. And I mentioned early on how my wife has seen all the Star Wars films, but she stopped watching Mandalorian because of, you know, the helmet. Yeah. And I said, okay, so I'm not going to tell you what I'm going to show you. You just come into the room. And I played her from the X-Wing part and the reveal of Luke. So this is somebody that has, you know, grown up watching the Star Wars movies. She's not a big, like, massive Star Wars fan, but she watches the movies, enjoys them for what they are. The reveal of Luke Skywalker, she gasped. Yeah. Do you know, it's, it's, 
it's a big thing that they they have achieved here to have that impact on someone that's not even watching the show. But me yeah. being someone that was watching it, I absolutely loved it. And never in a million years did I think when Grogu is is at the temple, is reaching out for help. Never in a million years did I think we would see Mark Hamill as Luke Skywalker. Yeah, because I thought one too obvious, two it's impossible. They can't do it. They literally can't do it. Um, not just that, the the music that's playing during that whole sequence is phenomenal. I mean, the composer on this show killed it uh, all season long, but this final episode especially, because whenever you see the Dark Troopers, there's a very industrial like music sound uh, that goes along with the threatening mechanical nature of them. But this the whole sequence for Luke um, cutting his way through them all, who we saw beat the absolute one of them beat the absolute crap out of Pedro Pascal. Yeah. And he yeah. moves through them like they're not even there. And, and he's get crushing see, them with the force. Yeah. The he's throwing their heads at each other. He's dragging it's, them in to cut them in half. It's one of the best things like, yeah. ever. And really the voice, is. the dialogue, the confidence and the openness. It's it was nineteen eighty three Mark Hamill. Magic. And the technology, there's only really one shot where he can't right, right before he turns that he looks diagonally down at Grogu and back up. That's the one shot that I'm like, there I can see the special effects. Before that, it looked amazing. I mean, I do have a 4K TV and a very expensive internet stream, but <laughs> it's, uh, it, looked, it looked flawless. I thought so the first time. And I thought so again the second time. I'm like, I don't know what people online are complaining about on the special effects on this. I'm like, it looks, I've seen it many looks, movies fail. It looks really good. It does. But in all honesty... it tells what the emotion is needed. It, it does. I think they do a better... I don't know, because they did a decent job with Carrie Fisher in Rogue One. Yeah. That woman seeing there. It's always hard, isn't it? Because you know, as a matter of fact, that it is an effect. Yeah. So your brain's telling you that, so you, it's hard to switch that off. It's it's not perfect, it, and this is not a big movie. It's it's more than a standard TV budget, but it's still TV. Yeah. Even though you can watch it, like I say, whether it's that angle when he's looking at Grogu, or just in general, like I'm looking at it, it's like it doesn't look quite right. But at the yeah. same time, I don't give a shit. Yeah. I, I am completely. Absolutely forgiving i'm going with it because they're really like putting it out there and they're giving us something incredible here and yeah i just completely forgive and just go with it but you're right though other than a couple of head turns it looks really good yeah um and i'm just and when r2 rolls up as well i was like holy crap r2d2 completely sidelined for like all of the sequel trilogy. Yeah, uh, here he is, and behind. he gets to do his little wobble. He's looking out like a baby Yoda, probably thinking, "Holy crap, it's another one of these things." <laughs> but uh, the whole the whole episode, like this, is the only the eighteenth, no, sixteenth thing in history of IMDb to get a nine point nine score for an episode wow. of TV. Wow. Um, showing you how like even the critics thought of, of this particular episode. And, you know, this is, there's still so much other stuff to talk about, like um, Giancarlo Esposito as Moff Gideon. Moff Gideon. What a 
What a great villain. But do we do we know, or, or do you know, the, the dials and buttons on his chest, like it, it looks, what he's wearing, it looks similar to Darth Vader, not quite the same. Do yeah. we know what's going on there? No, so you have you have these button things. Uh, I think it's four red and four white. That's his rank. That's a moth badge. Oh, right. That it doesn't do anything. Oh, right. Um, that's just showing his rank and it's the regalness, which is why he's wearing the cape, which is, is that a, the same? that's a style thing. Right. Is that the same with Vader, though? Because he's, he's... No, Vader's do have uh, functions for his um, right. apparatus and that kind of stuff. But there are things on there, and those are from... What the, what the armor looks like to me is a TIE fighter pilot because the TIE fighter doesn't have its own atmosphere. A TIE fighter pilot requires a breathing apparatus and that looks like something he's taken off and right, pushed up okay. because it, it makes him look more imposing. And this is someone who believes heavily in the Empire and, and you know, looked up to Vader and that's why he's aping his look kind of. Okay, yeah, I did, wear white. I did wonder. Right. Moffs wear white, but he's wearing black. Um, which yeah, but yeah, he it looks, looks cool. Phenomenal. He looks great in black. He's got the dark saber. Yeah, yeah. and when he's fighting uh, Mando, spear against dark saber, um, and the stunt actor who did the the work with him said, like he was getting bruises. He's like, oh my god, this guy's really into it. Thank God. Usually, actors are just memorizing the the moves and kind of worrying about performance as an afterthought and but they're just they try not to hurt you but like not so with Giancarlo he was <laughs> winging that thing like a baseball bat like like I will kill you like I'm I I'm right there I'm right there like I am shoving you yeah. around I'm using all it of my looks strength that way. it looked like brute force like he was really yeah. using the weapon yeah it looked great he's yeah. really really good in this. Yeah, and his monologue when uh, he Mando first gets there and does that great, phenomenal monologue, so calm and collected while he holds the blade over Grogu, uh, and then once he's on the bridge, he's this like kind of a sniveling Imperial, like getting in everyone's ear, like she can't take it. Why don't you just kill him now and get it over with? And you're like, oh, you are such a great villain, mm-hmm. man. Yeah. You're good, uh, and I'm glad again they didn't kill him. Because I don't like seeing good characters go to waste. Like it feels like there's more left for story in, with this character, um, which uh, something which brings us kind of to season three possibilities is something I got mentioned, which I made special note of on my rewatch for both episode three uh, or chapter tw- 12, 11, the heiress. At the end, when she gives Mando, like, go see Ahsoka Tano, she's on this planet. She says, once you're done with that, we could really use your help. That offer stands. Then at at the start of this episode, she's like, when you get back your child and you finish what you're after, we could really use your help. Like, we really want you part of the, our, our cause. So I'm like, that's gotta be season three, right? Like they've, they made two overt lines of dialogue towards it. And his story from season one to two has ended with this ep- this chapter 16. He got the child to the Jedi. That was his mission. It's interesting, isn't it? And what you're saying that it does sound like a direction with season three, we know we're getting it. 
goes into yeah. production this year. But initially, so we we had the rescue, and then we weren't quite sure what was going to happen because we get a post credit scene on the season two finale, and it is for the book of Fett or the book of Boba yeah. Fett, which is setting up a spin-off. Morrison's coming back. Yeah, and that's going to be out when. Yep, so she's back, and we've got that great reconstructed set from Return of the Jedi at the end of yeah. this episode. Yeah, with Fat Bib Fortuna. Yes, yes. But it was kind of like, it left people a little bit unsure. So instead of like a season three of Mandalorian, how are we getting the book of Boba Fett instead? But then they came out and said fairly quickly, cleared it up. No, they're going to be two separate shows. So Mandalorian yeah. will be continuing but as well as all the animated spin-offs and the live-action Ahsoka series, they've announced that Anakin Skywalker, Aiden Christensen, will be back in the Obi-Wan Kenobi series, which is just mind-blowing. I know. I know. Like, childhood me is freaking out right now. <laughs> it's hard to keep track. We're getting, we're getting so much Star Wars. So, yes, Mandalorian's continuing. What you were saying there, it sounds like that's a good direction for the third season. But then the Book of Boba Fett, Ahsoka. Rangers of the New Republic. Oh, man. It's... And with, at least with Mando, Rangers of the New Republic, and Ahsoka, they have hinted, if not outright confirmed, they're going to be kind of working around each other because they're all set in the same period. So I imagine Boba Fett works in there as well. That they're going to do a Netflix-style Marvel build-up to a Defenders kind of conclusion. Wow. And I'm okay. like, that's got to be Siege of Mandalore. All this happens, right. yeah. and they reassemble together to take back their planet, right? That's all just theory at this point. That's all speculation. But I can't think of anything else off the top of my head because we haven't been threaded anything else yet that they could be building towards but the fact that they they are giving us so much content and it's all building to something like give me i want it i want it now <laughs> i mean disney plus they've got a platform they've got a platform they've got an exclusive place for all their content to go yeah and uh and they're killing it they are they are giving us so much quality. It's, it's um, unreal, yeah. isn't it? We, we've talked about this when we've, we've covered Star Trek in the past, whether it's Lower Decks, Discovery, Picard. That's an example there of like TV giving us such a variety of Star Trek. We're getting so yeah. much Star Trek at the moment. And Star Wars. We're getting so much Star Wars. Yeah. There was a time when I know Trek's been on TV, DS9, Voyager, all of that, but it was Trek on the big screen. Star Wars, for the most part, only on the big screen. Yet yeah, here we are on a regular basis getting it on the small screen. And I'm loving it. Whether it's yeah, Trek or same. Star Wars. Yeah, I and especially we've mentioned this with Star Trek on the previous podcasts, we had such a large stretch between Star Trek enterprise to the first season of discovery of no Star Trek on TV and almost no sci-fi. You'd get the odd kind of budgety sci-fi show here and there, 
Uh, and now not only do we have all of this Star Trek and all this Star Wars, but we get The Expanse and we get a bunch of different stuff on Netflix, whether it's Stranger Things or Altered Carbon or uh, just the, the list keeps on going. There's a bunch of things on Apple TV and Amazon's killing it with things like The Boys and other bits and pieces. Like we are in a golden age for all of this stuff. And it's like Star Wars is for me at the moment from what we've received so far is first place, the creme, the creme. And they still are still doing movies. Like we know Taika Waititi's got a movie he's working on as we speak for Star Wars that they're giving us nothing on. There's another really secretive project that um, they're not telling us any information on. And Wonder Woman director herself, Patty Jenkins, doing yeah. a Rogue Squadron film for the big screen. Yeah. Whose father was a fighter pilot. So, oh, like well, if, there we go. Yeah. I'd be very just, surprised if we don't see Chris Pine pop up, jump from Trek to Star Wars <laughs> in the Patty Jenkins movie. There's, yeah. there's just so much. That's an example you just made that. So Taiko, he directed an episode of season one of Mandalorian, and now he's getting yeah. a movie. Honestly, Lucasfilm, yeah. if you're listening, Robert Rodriguez, give the guy a movie. Yeah, He'll do great yeah things. absolutely. Give him an action-packed Star Wars movie. That would be phenomenal. Okay, Jay, season two of The Mandalorian, if you're going to rate it out of five. Uh, it's got to be five. That's, that's <laughs> my well, that was quick. Yeah, uh, from week to week, from week one, with, with, uh, with Timothy Oliphant, with the crate dragon with the Boba Fett reveal at the end of the episode, I was hooked and was all and with the special effects quality and the music and the direction, everything from episode one, I was like, Holy crap. They uh, stepped right back into this show. Like they never left. And then as we've discussed from to episode two to episode three, to episode four, incredible action. That's it. They're not getting better action than that. This, this season, and then we get Ahsoka Tano, the very next episode, which they didn't even wait. Like the the opening shot is just her horror movie style, like hacking through mm. a bunch of guys. Yeah. And then Robert Rodriguez, and you're like, okay, Boba Fett, that whole thing. You're never beating that. You're never getting the. And then they do episode 16, the rescue, and you're like, okay, right. <laughs> I've just witnessed the greatest piece of TV I think I ever will. Uh, five out of five. You know, we should probably credit the composer, Ludwig Göransson. He came back from the first season. Uh, you may know him from Black Panther. And I yep. think he did at least the first Creed movie. He's worked yeah. with Ryan Coogler a fair bit. Yeah, he's, he's fantastic in that first season, second season. Really, really strong with the music. You know, you've credited the quality of the music a few times. My, yeah. my rating for the show, it, it's easy. Just like yourself, it's five out of five. Yeah, week to week, loved it. Yeah, like just absolutely loved it. Like I mentioned the the aging effects on Mark Hamill. That would be the only negative that I could really bring up. But at the same time, I've already got a record as saying I don't care. So yeah. the only thing that I would have, the only niggle I would have, I don't care about. It's yeah. just high quality week to week i love the fact that they don't keep themselves like we've talked about it before how netflix shows will 
each episode has to go for an hour. So whether yeah. that particular story can go for an hour, they'll stretch it out. What yeah. we get Mandalorian, and I'm hoping this continues with the Marvel shows, is the episode will be as short or as long as it needs to be to tell that particular story. Yeah, it whether just, it's 59 minutes yeah. or if it's 32. It, what this, and the shortest episode of the season was actually Robert Rodriguez's. Not that it felt that way. So much happened in that episode. You could not have convinced me it only ran half an no. hour. I was like, no, nah, that was an hour. That was, like, constantly... that was just a real fast hour. <laughs> You're immersed in each episode, and in it, it's just high quality. Like, you know, we've talked about the Marvel shows before on the podcast, more so the Netflix ones. And yeah. you know which episodes are filler. When it yeah. comes to Mandalorian, zero filler. Every yeah. episode counts. Every minute counts. It is solid television. We get eight episodes a season, and I've loved every episode across two seasons. It is yeah. it is a solid show. Five out of five. Yeah, and it's had me spend many, many dollars on merchandise. As we record, I am wearing a Mandalorian The Child t-shirt. My Secret Santa bought me the child pop vinyl. That is the yep. only thing I have from Mandalorian. Apart from the, the ushies that I got from Woolies when I did my, yeah. <laughs> when I did my shopping a while ago. But that's it. Yeah, yeah. I've got the uh, the episode one Mandalorian from season one. I've got on order for when it ships the, the full uh, Mandalorian with Baby Yoda. I've got a life-size baby yoda hot toys ordered uh they are getting me for many many hundreds of dollars and if they ever release a full costume i will fork <laughs> out for one of those as well if you're listening lucasfilm i would like a full high quality mandalorian costume thank you it's not a full costume but you just reminded me the other mandalorian thing i do own father's day my kids got me a pair of mandalorian socks so it's not quite the full armor. Yeah. <laughs> I got the socks. So that's it. Socks and a pop vinyl. Nice. Well, that's it for our episode all about The Mandalorian Season 2. If you want to contact us about this episode or request a topic for an upcoming show, you can find us on Facebook as Sounds Like Comics Podcast. As always, thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next time. <laughs>